everyone. My name is Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host Chris Kay. Welcome to Debating Metal, the show where we offer you our sincere and honest opinions on the music we all love, heavy metal. And this week we're doing something a little different. We're giving you our opinion on Revolver Magazine's article, The 10 Greatest 3 Album Runs in Heavy Metal History. A few months back, Revolver published the piece Kenneth mentioned, and we're going to give you our take on the article. These are all bands that we know and love, but might not necessarily agree with their assessment. So sit back, relax, and let the debate begin. The top 10 greatest three album runs in heavy metal history. All right, Chris. So the, the Revolver Magazine put out this article about the 10 greatest three album runs in heavy metal history, if you want to put it that way. And, you know, I immediately saw this and I started looking at the, 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 the names and the bands and, and the albums and I didn't necessarily agree with everything that was on their list, um, but it, it definitely made for something that I, I brought to you. I said, hey, I think this is a really good thing that we should talk about, and you had the same idea as soon as you read it. So this is why we're here to talk about this. Um, so why don't you go ahead and, and – uh, do you want to start with number 10? Or do you want me to okay. start with number – you know that's, what? You, yeah, go yeah, ahead that's and, you, you start with number 10 because you're a little bit more versed on Tool than I am. And then I could talk a little bit more about Slipknot at number nine. All right. So as you mentioned, and, and we're going in the order from the last on their list to the top. So I'm not sure if they put it in any particular order. It did kind of feel like it was number one through ten. Uh, I think we both kind of agreed on that. Um, but – so they they had Tool as their number 10. And for me, like, I don't even think of Tool necessarily as heavy metal. They do have some metal uh, kind of background, like their first, their, their first EP, Opiate, and their first album had more of a metal kind of vibe to it than what they later became. Um, but... I mean, you, it's it's to each their own. I mean, you can consider them metal or not. Um, the, you know, their their run that they picked was Undertow, Anima, and Lateralis. Uh, like I said, the first one, a little more metal. Uh, then they kind of evolved and became more of like mathematical-based uh, hard rock music. Really kind of in- interesting stuff. I was a big fan in high school. Uh, I liked a lot of the the more complicated stuff they were writing, and um, you know some of the um, videos they put out were really cool. I thought all three albums were pretty dang solid, and then they kind of went on a hiatus for a while. They released Ten Thousand Days. I want to say early two thousands. Uh, Ten Thousand Days came out in two thousand six. Two thousand six. So late two two thousands, I guess. Um, wasn't a big fan of that one to be honest and I haven't really been following them since but that those first three albums really were truly very so- solid uh, and they they were on a streak there so what kind of what's your take on on tool being on this list the, the funny thing about tool for me was you know I I was you know they they started towards the end of the MTV age and I say it like that because Obviously, we all know that MTV doesn't show any videos anymore. So, you know, in 1993, when when Undertow came out, they're still showing some videos. They still have, I think Headbangers Ball was still on. 
So they were towards the end of that run there. And man, they used to play the crap out of uh, Sober. And they they played the crap out of um, Prison Sex. I think mm-hmm. it was a video that they had. So it's like, this was a, those were cool songs and the videos were just, just as cool. And, and then they kind of, you didn't hear from them for three years and it's like, where'd they go? You know? And then, you know, Anima comes out and that, that album really didn't grab me too, too much. It wasn't until, um, Lateralis came out in 2001 that I, uh, was it 2001? Yeah, I think so. It wasn't. It, yeah. was, it wasn't. Yeah, Lateralis came out in two thousand one. So it wasn't until I heard Lateralis and, and they had uh, the song "Schism" was a huge hit on on rock radio, and then I was like, "Oh, this is cool." And, and this funny thing is, I was like, "Man, these guys haven't been around for a while." When you think about it, it was five five years since uh, Anima came out. Yeah, and you know, bands get lost in that time, but for, for some reason, tools able has been able to kind of, uh, circumvent that, you know, like right now, fear inoculum, their latest album. I mean, they're, they're doing sellout arena tours right now. And that album came out 15. Yeah. No, 13 years after, 10,000 days. I mean, that's a long period of time. That That's the hiatus I was referring to. I mean, I, I kind of included 10,000 days in that, but it, that was more of what was going on in my life, I guess, technically, where <laughs> I, I missed that. But but yeah, for, I guess for me, it was a little different because I remember 92, Opiate came out, and I, I, I wasn't aware of it until Undertow came out. So when Undertow came out, they, they they had three really big hits on it. To me, that's that's my favorite album from the band. Um, it's a little heavier from beginning to end. I think it's pretty good as far as like just a consistent good quality on each track. There isn't one that I think is just like crappy and you need to skip. And then Anima came out three years later, and that's not a huge gap. A lot of bands have a three year gap between releasing albums. It's not. Yeah, that's, that's not, not that's uncommon not too bad. now. Um, so that's not that's not bad. Um, but I thought that album was really good. It had Stink Fist on it, H Anima, Forty Six and Two. Um, it what was the last track? Uh, Third Eye, that mm-hmm. was really cool. Um, Eulogy, you know, th- this had a, a tribute to uh, Bill Hicks on it. In and I was a big fan of Bill Hicks as a as a comedian at that time in my life. Like I. You know he was he was one of those um, that I think a lot of people kind of caught attention because of Tool, um, but I had actually seen him on uh, it was a HBO special and uh, with Rodney Dangerfield on it and um, you know watching stuff I probably shouldn't have watched as a kid, but <laughs> it was you know I thought it was a really good album and then technically yeah it was 2001 before they released another album but they also had that Salival. Um, release in between which was a like a live kind of video box set with outtakes and all kinds of other stuff yeah it kept so the it kept interest them going relevant. yeah mm-hmm. um there and i remember there was uh some additional tracks and that kind of stuff that maybe not quite finished stuff but it, it was enough to keep them relevant in the the eyes of the fans and then lateralis came out and that was huge when I was in high school. That was 2001. And I remember 
all the way all four years of my high school like just hearing that on the radio constantly in my art classes when we would listen to the radio and stuff like that it just it was there the entire time and um somehow after that i just kind of lost track of them and 10,000 days came out and it i felt like every album before that they had been very kind of revolutionary they had they had progressed but then 10,000 days came out and i felt like it was more of what was on lateralis and i was a little disappointed by that just never really paid attention to them again yeah i i i could agree with that assessment where where 10,000 days does seem like an extension of lateralis um you know, the one thing I could tell you, you know, looking at, at the three albums, Undertow has a slightly different sound. Now, when I say slightly, you know, you could, it's a first album, even though it's the second release. It's their first, you know, album. Zoo mm-hmm. Entertainment was the, was a label. They were getting distributed by BMG. So there was some money behind it. Um, and then, so, and that was produced by um, a, a woman named Sylvia Massey and the band themselves. And so one thing I, I, I noticed, you know, the, the second, you know, Anima and Lateralis, those albums were produced by um, David Batrill, and then Lateralis was David Batrill and Tool together. And one thing I, 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 I was reading a little bit about, can't remember what band I, I, was, I, was, I was reading something about, but they, they talked about how once they got in the studio uh, the, for their first album, and they were given a certain amount of control. They never let it go. They they maintain that control. So they're oh, actually, it was Rob Halford. Uh, when I was listening to his book and reading mm. some of it, he mentioned how on the first album they kind of were co-producing it with the with with the, with uh, Roger Glover. Was it Roger Glover? No, Roger Glover did the second one, Sad Wings. Um, I think it was Roger Bain. Who's the, the guy? Yeah, I kind of remember the story, and it was it was more just that they didn't they don't like that first album for a lot of reasons, and it has to do with you know who owns the the album now, right? But also they didn't have a lot of control over it. They didn't have a, contr- a lot of control over their sound, and it it's not something that they felt reflected them as a band. Right, exactly. Yes, it was Roger Bain who produced Rockarola, and that's the guy who produced Black Sabbath's first bunch of albums. So yeah, so Rob talked about how every album they always had some sort of control now it doesn't necessarily ref- reflect on you know produced by in some cases because they said that the their their collaboration with Tom Allen was always Tom Allen and uh, produced by Tom Allen and Judas Priest and that's not the the case it's not the way the credits read on the albums but you know, it's it, it. You know, it could be co-produced in there, or it could be assisted by like Metallica's album "Ride of Lightning." Says produced by Metallica. It's clear as day on the back of the album, but when you look inside the liner notes, it says assisted by Fleming Rasmussen and Mark Whitaker. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, those 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 little things here and there, it, it shows, especially in Tool's case. It shows that they've been in control of their music, in control of their sound since the beginning. And you can tell the guitar sound a little rough on Undertow compared to Anima and Lateralis and 10,000 Days and the way they are now. Um, but it still sounds great. I mean, the bass is recorded really, really well. You hear a ton of that 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 bottom end on on the records and that maintains through all the other recordings so when david Batrill came in and did 
uh, Anima and then Lateralis, he they, he went along with their sound. And so they never lost that tool sound. It just, I think the guitars got better. And, that, and that's something to be said, why and how bands are able to maintain and continue to grow. Because I, I personally think the bands that like to experiment from album to album, until you have a, a, a particular formula in your songwriting, it, it to me, it, it's, it's almost seems dysfunctional, you know? Like, yeah. The the greatest bands in the world usually have a formula, and that, and that doesn't mean that they're repeating themselves, but they usually have a formula as to why they're successful. You well, know, I mean, then you think about the Beatles, and they continuously evolved until they broke up. Yeah, but like if you think about the first bunch of albums, they had a particular style. They they grew up in that in that middle period, you know, like year four and five, and then they just totally went into uh, experimentation. Mm-hmm. But they were already huge at that point. Oh, yeah. I mean, so you can you can do that. But you know, like for instance, a band like Kiss, who had no credibility after their first three albums, couldn't sit there and try to experiment every single time. They, they, they came out with an album. They were just trying to get somebody to listen to them. So when they broke through with a live one, you know, then they, they go in there and say, well, this next album has to be great. So they decided to get a producer and they, they, they did experiment a little bit, but that was just because they were like, now we know we can do something. Yeah. And then, and then the funny thing is they, they scrap all that and they go back to their roots on their next two albums after that. So, in Tool's case, what, what I'm you know trying to get at is I, I, I like the fact that they have a formula. I like that they have a particular sound because you can identify that. And and I think all these albums that we're going to talk about kind of have that vibe to them. So uh, do you have anything else you want to say about Tool? I mean, I, I think I pretty much covered everything that I, I think about them. I mean, those three albums are really solid. And mm-hmm. they, I, I mean, they deserve to be on a list. I don't know if they're... The, Best ten metal, you know, three well, run I mean, albums. To me, to me, they're like. I mean, a lot of people used to say that Queensrÿche was a a, a, a a heavy metal version of Pink Floyd. Tool to me is a heavy metal version of Pink Floyd. They're very cerebral. They're very okay. talented musicians. They have this thing where they can, you know, they can play heavy and then it can go into some very atmospheric music. And yeah. at the same time, it's Tool. It's still heavy, you know, and they can play just as heavy as the next guy. I mean, they're those, you know, Adam Jones can play just as heavy with the rest of them as, as you know, you know, that that's how good he is and how good they are. You know, Danny, their drummer is amazing. I mean, that dude is one of the best drummers in music period. I don't think that they should be not included in metal like they're pretty heavy to me but they're not you know like there's other bands that are considered heavy they're not testament you know they're not that kind of heavy metal but heavy metal's all over the place so i i don't mind them being on the list well like i said it's they're, they're definitely not all the way at the top for sure okay so number nine is or the way that this list rolled itself out number nine is slipknot and the three albums that they put down were Slipknot's first, the, the debut album, Iowa, and then Volume Three. So, so again, just like Tool, it's the first three releases from the band, and and just like Tool, they had a previous release that was independent. Tools was an EP. Slipknot had um, 
uh, an independent release that some of the songs were reworked onto the Slipknot album. You're not a big fan of Slipknot, uh, and I know that. These three albums, to me, there's really, really, really good songs on each of these three albums. And then there's some songs where I just don't get. Um, that, and that's, the, that's been the relationship that I've had with Slipknot. I really, really like them. My wife really, really likes them. But there are times where I just like, I can't listen to this. This is just, this is noise or, and when I say noise, obviously I listen to metal, so everyone thinks it's noise. But noise in the fact that it's like literally noisy. <laughs> um, mm. Did you get a chance to, to to pick out any of these, these songs on any of these albums that you might think is is pretty good? So, not in particular. I mean, I'm I'm kind of familiar with all like the hits on them because a lot of friends and stuff would listen to them when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the these were the albums right in the pocket for that time period for me. So I'm familiar with like Left Behind. Um, what's the one off of the third album that everybody knows? Um, was it Duality? Is that the yeah Duality? That was a big one that was on the radio. You know, Slipknot was a band that just never did it for me, and like Corey Taylor, he's you know he's interesting. I I see him on a lot of like horror documentaries and that kind of stuff. I don't really have a problem with the guy. I just. I just never liked his vocals, never really liked the, their music. So it's hard. For, like, I just feel like I don't really have much of a dog in this fight, you know? Well, um, you know, I get their I, popularity and they're freaking huge. But to me, it's just never a band I got anything from. You know, the funny thing about them is, like I said, uh, there's when I first got into them, there was that groundswell, very similar to what, what I was hearing from about Pearl Jam. Uh, mm-hmm. Back in 1991, it's like there's this band out of Seattle called Pearl Jam. You know, so now I'm hearing there's this band out of Iowa called Slipknot. You know, when you when you're in the music business, and now in, in 1999 I wasn't in the music business, but I had connections still. So some people were, you know, sending me info, dude, you got to hear this band, you got to hear this band, you got to hear this band. Then you hear other people that you work with, I'm like, man, I heard this band the other day, and it was just like, all right, I need to go see this. So when when they came up on Ozfest 1999. I was like, I was excited to see them, and they opened up the 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 second stage, twelve o'clock in the afternoon or whatever it was, and it's, you know, middle of summer, it's a hundred degrees out, it's probably got to be a hundred and five, hundred and ten on that stage, and they're out there with the with those jumpsuits on and the masks. I mean, I handed to them. Those guys are <laughs> athletic in that regards. They can really, they have some stamina, mm-hmm. but they could play. You know that that's the one thing they they're not just shitty musicians. They're all pretty good, you know. And and I I I got into that first album. You know, there was some really cool songs for me. Wait and bleed, um, eyeless, uh, sick is a huge is is a song I really really enjoy. Um, and so, but there was other songs on there that like, I just could not get. Um, so I was just like, eh, you know. I'm not into all this extracurricular stuff that goes on in the songs. You know, give me the song. I mean, yeah, I, I don't mind hearing stuff go on in the background during a really good song, but when the whole thing is just different 
sounds that are created by the nine different people in the band, and it's not necessarily a cohesive song, that's when it kind of turns me off. But then, you know, the next album comes out, and it it has, you know, a couple of pretty good songs on it. When you're talking about, like you said, Left Behind earlier, uh, the Heretic Anthem is a really cool song in my in my opinion and that one probably offends a lot of people because you know if it says if you're 555 then i'm 666 so there's a lot of people that don't necessarily like that but well now there's probably more that do like it (laughs) (laughs) yeah in today's the thing the thing about slipknot is you said there's nine members of the band and i i don't know if there's still nine members or if there was back then no there's still nine members okay so that that that's a lot of instrumentation going on at any given time and i always felt like to me you said noise and i i get that like i get what you mean there's not a lot of room to breathe there's always something going on and it doesn't to me it's not appealing because there's not those moments of of like ebb and flow that i'm used to what i what i enjoy you know like even some of the tech death stuff that i really like has like more of like each instrument has its highlight. Each instrument has a, has a moment to shine. There's moments to breathe. There's, there's, you know, musical theory behind it. And I'm not saying Slipknot doesn't have that. It's just, it's not what I particularly enjoy. And I think, I think there's a lot of people obviously that gravitate towards what they do and there's a lot of bands that have copied what they do and but it's just it takes you enjoying that style of music oh absolutely i mean you have to it's one of those they're one of these bands that you either like or dislike it's like a love hate relationship you either hate them or you don't uh, you either love them or you don't and it's it's one of those things where i'm more in between than anybody i know in regards to that and so when you were talking about ebbs and flows, that's what I think about when it comes to volume three, that third album in the series. That's the one that has the most ebbs and flows. And that's probably why that album was so huge mm. because yeah. it did have a ballad that was accompanied by a faster version of the same song or just an alternate kind of, you know, there's an, a part A and a part B. Part B was the big single. Um, part A is, is a little bit more up tempo, but it's the very same melody and stuff like that. And, you know, they, they just kept building on the momentum and that, and, and volume three. So talking about producers before the first one, the first two were produced by the band and Ross Robinson. And then they go to Rick Rubin on album number three. And what's funny about that is Rick Rubin is usually like the, the, the reclamation project master. Uh, but, but this one, he, he literally took them and put them over the top. He made them mainstream. And so kudos to Rick Rubin for doing that. Um, and they've, they've now become you know, a super huge band. And you and I have had this discussion before about, the, the, you know, who is the next band that's going to be the stadium headliner? Right now, it is Slipknot. You know, how many more years does, can this band do that is, is another question. But right now, they're the, the ones that are the next major uh, stadium headliners in, in metal, at least. So the, I feel like they had a thing for alliteration because they 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 went with R- R- uh, Ross Robinson. They were on Roadrunner Records. Then they went with <laughs> Rick Rubin. Then Jody jo- or Joey Jordison, 
did the next one. They're just they're basically like Stan Lee at that point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now comes number eight, and I know this is a band you're very familiar with. So why don't you go ahead and talk about them? All right. Uh, so they're number, I guess, eight. If if we're going in reverse, it was Slayer. Um, starting with Rain and Blood, South of Heaven, and Seasons in the Abyss. Uh, to me, these are definitely Slayer's best albums. Uh, starting with Rain and Blood, that was just... I think most people would recognize that as a thrash masterpiece. Uh, something about that album, it was short, it was sweet, it was, it was exactly what it needed to be. There's no fluff. There's there's no extra shit on it. It's just it it attacks from beginning to end, and that's that's all it needed to be. It, it's what twenty eight minutes. Yep. And that's that's they didn't need any more, and it's perfect for that reason. Then South of Heaven comes out, and they didn't want to do exactly what they did with Rain and Blood. They slowed things down a bit. They that was a deliberate uh, style change. But style change is probably a little bit of an overstatement. Um, but South of Heaven is still a really good album. It may not be quite as strong as Rain and Blood, but it's it's one of my favorite Slayer albums. And then Season in the Abyss comes out, and they basically took what they were doing with Rain and Blood and South of Heaven and mixed it in between. And it's one of their strongest albums, and I, I would say a lot of people would view it as their strongest album. So three right back to back excellent albums. It, it absolutely, and here's the funny thing, and it reflects in terms of record sales. You know, you've got the first two albums which were independent. It puts them on the map, and then they explode with Rain and Blood. South of Heaven, you know, continues to flow, and it, and they literally just flipped the script and said, "No, we're going to go slow now." You know, how much faster can we get? You know, but they still were thrashy. You know, and then Season of the Abyss was was the perfect you know combination of the two, and and it shows because you know each album went gold, and you know Rain and Blood you know says here seven hundred sixty six thousand units sold, South of Heaven five hundred thousand, and Season of the Abyss eight hundred thirteen. So they they progressed, you know, they digressed a little bit with South of Heaven, but that could be expected when you have a bunch of fans that were looking for this really fast album. And then all of a sudden, South of Heaven comes out. There was a little bit of disappointment at first, but when you really break it down, the songs are very good. They're heavy. They are not necessarily as fast as the stuff on on Rain and Blood, but still heavy and still pretty quick. You know, and then Season of the Abyss was just they had some really good songs in that one. Yeah, and, and Slayer has a ceiling on them because maybe not so much nowadays, but. Part of it was that their their music. There was a lot of it that was satanic. It was it was um, you know, kind of scary to, at the time, and it's it's something that would have held them back, you know, as opposed to their their contemporaries like Anthrax, Megadeth, Metallica. They they weren't directly satanic. They may have been singing about you know some rough content and stuff and some in some particular songs but slayer was the only one that was deliberately trying to sing about evil and that changed like with with between rain and blood south of heaven um and even season the seasons in the abyss they kind of shifted more towards real world horrors you know as they went along but still they have they have an image you know they have that their their 
pentagram on their logo. You know, they have albums that preceded it that have like a, a, a goat man, you know. So, they, you know, those are things that are always going to hamper them, but that didn't matter. They Slayer was Slayer and they were going to do what they were going to do. And I have all the respect in the world for them for that. Um, but you have to know that you're not going to be the number one band in the world when you're scaring, you know, half the listeners out in the world. <laughs> you're absolutely right. But that the, the the funny thing about that is, is that, you know, they, they, they were very evil in, in show no mercy, hello waits, and even a lot of rain and blood, but rain and blood was exactly that. It was a, it was a crossover point where they said, I'm going to talk about real life atrocities and, and not just about, you know, good versus evil and Satan's going to kill you and stuff like that. And so that Rain and Blood was that crossover. Uh, it was the start the next- of it, but there was still, right. like, Jesus saves, still has some, you know, altar of sacrifice, you know, right. stuff like that. But then as, I mean, what was it? Was it on South of Heaven that has... Um, no, it was it was on uh, season to the best has like dead skin mask, and right. that's where they're more even further shifting into like real world things, basing it on serial killers and that kind of stuff. And that's still at that point. I mean, now every woman loves to watch stuff about serial killers, you know. But back then, Slayer should be like number one for for all women. Right, <laughs> they sing about their favorite subject. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's just a little harsh. It's a little harsh. I'm kidding, kind of. <laughs> every every girl I've ever dated, it, it loves no, my, serial. My wife's into it. My wife, my wife, my wife is into it, man. It's just like, what are you watching? <laughs> like, I can't even watch that crap. You know, it's yeah. like, I don't care about how I, this guy got, you know, how this person got chopped up into a hundred pieces. I don't, I don't want to watch this, uh, this documentary about Ed Gein. I'm going to go listen to Slayer's Dead Skin Mask instead. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, you know, and, and the, the thing about those three albums and pretty much most of Slayer's career from that point forward the albums were all produced by Rick Rubin. So they all had some similarity. There was a tie in, you know, and he, they were, they were his first really big band. And yet at the same time, you know, in 1990, I believe it was the black crows. He was, was a big band for him as well. When they came out with shake your moneymaker, he was the executive producer on that one. So he, he put them on their label and, put the money up for him so you know I, these three albums were definitively the best of of slayer's career all right so number seven or the way they put it on this list is sepultura arise chaos ad and roots um i might not necessarily agree with that those three albums um but I can see why, because um, each one progressively got bigger and bigger for for the band. I mean, Roots was one of their biggest albums to date at that point. Um, I guess yeah. even t- t- st- still today, really. Um, but for I, me, I, 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 I like Beneath the Remains way more. I think those three, in my mind, are like when I when I if I if somebody was going to say like what three albums define. Uh, Sepultura to me, 
Chaos AD is the pinnacle, and it started with Beneath the Remains. I see. I, I mean, I see your point there because you know Beneath and Arise very similar albums, and you can see the progression. Mm-hmm. And we talked about them. I, I believe we did a head to head on those, right? We yeah, yes, so, those two albums. Yeah. So you know, th- you could see where the progression was from there, and then it, it all led up to the the signing to Sony Music, and uh, you know Roadrunner Roadrunner Records had a distribution deal with Sony Music, and so they got a ton of money behind it. It was really well produced uh, for Chaos AD. I'm talking about, and they really, really had the time to put in some good songs. So you could see why Chaos AD was so good. Um, Roots, it was, it was, you know, they got to that point now where we're we're established. Let's go ahead and experiment. Let's get back to our roots. You know, normally bands who get back to the roots, they go back to the original style that they were playing. They don't really go back to their roots. Like the roots of their country. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And again, nothing wrong with that. The album was very good. Um, It wasn't for everybody per se. You know, like you're not a big fan of it, but I do like some of the songs on it. I respect it. I think it's a good album, but it's not like when I heard Chaos AD, I thought this is amazing. And then I hear Roots and I'm like, I respect it, but I don't love it. Right. I mean, I totally understand that. And, you know, going through the whole thing again, each album has its different sound. And what's amazing about it, the re- what makes that happen, Arise was produced by Sepultura and Scott Burns. That was, you know, Scott Burns was the ultimate Florida death metal producer. And, you know, he had Morris sound in Tampa. That I believe that album was recorded there in Morris in Tampa. And that explains why. So, you know, that... that being recorded at more sound it had that florida death metal vibe to it especially with scott burns recording so so that was the end of the era for for sepultura in that regards because then when they got the distribution deal with sony um they they were able to or not them but roadrunner roadrunner put a, a ton of money behind the next album from sepultura because they saw the progression with arise i mean they were there was a big groundswell and then they gave him a ton of money, go ahead and do Chaos AD, but they got a producer, Andy Wallace, to do it. Phenomenal job. We all know that that album is great. And then with Roots, they got Ross Robinson, who was this guy who did Slipknot's first album. So they, they were progressing and trying different things, and each producer gave them a different sound. So you could see how, like, other bands that have sim, you know, the same producer, they their sound kind of stays the same. You know, the producers have a have a big effect on 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 bands that more more than people think. So, yeah, and then and then after that, I guess Sepultura would kind of implode and then change their direction <laughs> entirely. Yeah, I, they, yeah, they completely went in a different direction. I mean, not musically; they still played metal. It's just you know you know uh, Max quits and then they get Derek Green and and they've they've stabilized you know in in recent years but they did have a, a tough time for a while. Yeah, they, I mean, what I mean is, so they are still groove metal and they do st- still have a lot of new metal and but they've gone kind of back and forth with their sound with thrash with you know kind of in, introducing different elements into it and i they've never to me had like a consistent sound per album 
since that point. They, there was like a clear progression and then they've kind of like bounced a little bit back and forth with everything since then. Yeah, and and that that's the sign of the times. You know, they had a they had a rough time there in the, in late nineties. So, all right. So we were talking just about groove metal. Uh, so that brings us to number six, which would be Pantera. <clears throat> um, Pantera, as we know, had four albums before they really hit their their uh, like breakthrough. But everybody kind of knows Cowboys from Hell as their first album, and that's that's really how it is like yeah it's trivia to say there's four albums before but nobody heard those um so i mean they were te- i mean dimebag was a teenager and his dad was producing it in the backyard i don't re- i i personally yes their albums they have been released i don't personally count that as a pantera release they they have their fan base but mm, yeah it's just trivia at this point uh so starting with cowboys from hell then Vulgar Display of Power and Far Beyond Driven. Those are the albums they selected, and I 100% agree with this one. Um, so they did get heavier with every album. So they have five albums, essentially, and from beginning to end, somehow they got heavier and heavier with each album. But that doesn't necessarily equate to the best albums. The best albums to me are starting with Cowboys from Hell. My favorite is Vulgar Display of Power and then Far Beyond Driven is almost as good in my opinion. That's that's debatable, you know, everybody kind of has either one of these three as this album or as their favorite album to be honest. Uh, it's very rare when I've heard anything different. I do know a guy whose whose favorite is uh Great Southern Trinkill, which is surprising to me, but um <laughs> But Pantera, they defined what groove metal would be. You know, there's there, there's always the debate about uh, what was the band that was kind of doing groove metal before we saw them live. Um, X-Hoarder. So, there, so X-Hoarder, you know, there's always the, the debate, like, did they take the style from a, you know, a Phil did fill in some stuff for, for X-Hoarder and took some of that and took it back over to to Pantera. Who cares? These albums are freaking fantastic. That that's all that needs to be said. <laughs> okay, I won't say anything. All right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean Pan- Pantera, you you said everything there is really to say about it. Those three albums are amazing. Um my favorite album is Far Beyond Driven. Um you could see the progression with each album. Um you know, my, my favorite song from them is Cowboys from Hell, but my next favorite song is I'm Broken. So, you know, which is off of Driven. It, it's it's a progression. The band was just tighter and tighter and tighter. And, you know, again, why you got these three albums all produced by Terry Date. So there's there's some consistency there. There's some familiarity there. And each time they get better and better. So I, I, it's hard to knock anything that Pantera did. These three albums are amazing. Yeah, the only one they did that wasn't produced by Terry Date was uh, Reinventing the Steel. And Reinventing the Steel has its own set of problems. I mean, they, the band was collapsing by that point. Um, but he did actually come back and do a new mix, which I think was on the 20th anniversary. I haven't heard it yet. But uh, I've heard that pretty much any of them past the Cowboys from Hell re-release was 
that which was garbage. All of them after that have been uh, have been better. So I try I try to stick to the original releases of all those albums. I think they were pretty much perfect as as they were. Um, you know, and Pantera's this bubble that unfortunately it'll never be again. You know, it's just a short period of time. But man, did they uh, they you know they burned out hard. Like they, they you know they say like what what is it's better to uh, what's what's the classic? It's better to burn out than fade away. Yeah, and that's kind of what they did. Like they they went hard until they they didn't, and they were gone. And um, you know, they're a band that I still revisit all the time, and uh, I don't really. Like they talk about reunion shows with other people and stuff like that, and not really being Pantera, but just Phil and Rex playing with other people, and that's cool. You know, I know he does his thing with all the bands that, like, I, I mean, Phil plays with all the bands that he plays with, and they'll do Pantera songs here and there. And that's fine, but I don't want to see anybody try to be Dimebag and and uh, and Vinnie Paul. I mean, it just Pantera was great and they will be great and there are a lot of people that still love them and you still hear them and that's all that matters they left their impact they did Dimebag left a a long long lasting impact and and so many musicians just love Dimebag and you can see why and they're all influenced by him and I don't think any guitarist will ever let Dimebag truly die no, not at all. The fine thing about Dimebag, I've been listening. I've been listening to a few um, audiobooks, and uh, the, these guys have all mentioned Dimebag. And apparently, Dimebag likes to make people alcoholics. He <laughs> 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 turns them into drinkers. <laughs> but that's Dimebag. I mean, if everyone knows Dimebag, Black Tooth Grin. So you know, cheers to cheers to Dime on that one, and to Vinny because Vinny was the ultimate partier. So, all right. So that brings us to number five on our list, which is Motorhead, Overkill, Bomber, and Ace of Spades. That three-album run was pretty special for Motorhead. Um, at the time that those albums came out, I was not into Motorhead, so I'm going back and 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 understanding of, of those albums, like way back in terms of, you know, I've really just gotten to Motorhead within the last 10 years. Okay. And those albums are way, you know, early 80s. So, <clears throat> actually even 79. 79 and 80. And 80. Two years releasing yeah. three albums that are phenomenal. That's yeah. uh, yeah, crazy. You know, Overkill, I mean, they th- these three albums are, are super, super influential when it comes to all the bands that we really like now. And that's that's amazing in and of itself. I mean, we talk about Pantera, we talk about Sepultura, Slayer, and Slipknot. All these bands love Lemmy and had some sort of, inf- you know, Lemmy has some sort of influence on everybody out there. I mean, some of my you favorite know. bands even now are still releasing covers of Motorhead songs. Um Beast in Black did Killed by Death just, you know, a couple years ago. So the even genres that you don't even think of are still doing covers of Motorhead. Everyone in the metal community has been impacted by Lemmy and 
you know, the various members of Motorhead. You know, some really great musicians passed through there. I mean, think about Mickey D and who all he's played with. Oh, Mickey, Mickey's a phenomenal drummer. Better than James Kotak or Kotak, Kotak. whatever his name is. Kotex. You know, he's dealing <laughs> with some problems. Let's not be too hard on the guy. <laughs> Mickey D's still better than him. Um, I, I just, I, I, there's, there's things about Motorhead, these three albums that I really, really, really enjoy. I mean, Overkill is such an influential song for that double bass drumming that, that, that is on there. Um, you know, Damage Case, Metallica covered that, you know, uh, Stay Clean. In, In reality, if you think about it, Overkill itself is probably the weaker of the three albums, in my opinion. Um, I tend to think of De- uh, as Bomber as the weak one of the three. It's you know it's it's got a few good tracks. Bomber itself, um, Dead Men Tell No Tales, Stone Dead Forever. I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's debatable. You know, right? It's debatable to me. They're those two are very very close to each yes. other. Ace of Spades just you know broke the door down that's, when it came to that's the hit what they yeah. were playing. Yeah, I mean, Ace of Spades, Love Me Like a Reptile, you Shoot know, you in We the Are back. the Road Crew. We Are the Road Shoot Crew. Shoot You in the Back. Jailbait. The Chase, yeah, The Chase is Better Than the Catch. I mean, it was just such a good album, mm-hmm. you know, so there's a, so you can see that progression. They get kind of, you know, I guess because both Overkill and Bomber came out in 79, you would almost think it was maybe like, maybe leftover songs from one session, and it, <clears throat> they were they were then given an opportunity to put out another album. So they they said okay well now we got to, we can put these songs out so and especially because this it's technically towards the beginning of their career although they had been around for a couple of years at this point but now they were they were actually what you would call uh, recording artists and so I think those two albums being in the same year it was it was kind of a leftover at least some of the songs but then Ace of Space to me is probably from the ground up a brand new album. And that you could you could tell the difference. Yeah, and it's funny because everybody always thinks of that that classic lineup of, of Motorhead with uh, you know Fast Eddie Clark and Filthy Animal Taylor. And that was a very brief amount of time. I mean, the, the, their last album together was in '82, and that was that was Iron Fist, which we've we've talked about Motorhead, um, and you know Iron Fist is not a great album. Uh, you know, it's a kind of a... It's a good song, but yeah, it's, <laughs> not a great album. It's about the only good song on the album, really. Um, you know, it's a bad note to leave out on with that lineup. But, you know, again, an alb- or a, a set of albums by a group of guys that just shared the same vision, really put out awesome stuff. And unfortunately, you know, it, that's just a time capsule. It's just... Sometimes bands don't function well together and it's best to move on. And we talked about that also where, you know, once Lemmy found his his lineup, then there's some really good stuff in their later years that I think a lot of people gloss over. But there's nothing really better than these three albums. No, these these three albums are amazing. All right, so... Well, I get. I guess I get to talk about Metallica. Yes, yes, you do. <laughs> All right, so Metallica, um, and this one I think is is can be taken up for debate because I think there are there you know 
up through the Black album, every al- album is really solid, right? So their list is Kill 'Em All, Ride the Lightning, and Master of Puppets. I think there's an easy way, if you're a fan, you can debate for Ma- uh, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and Justice for All. You could even say Master of Puppets and Justice for All Black album. Uh, but to me, I kind of agree with their list. Kill 'Em All, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets. Those are the three, like, when I think of Metallica for me, at what I enjoy as as a band from them, it's these three albums. I love Injustice for All. I think it's one of their best albums. But I almost feel like it sits on an island by itself because it's the post-Cliff album. And then uh, the same thing with Black Album. It's It's kind of an island unto its own. So these three albums have continuity, you can see there is constant progression and they have the same lineup and they're all amazing albums. There's the rawness of kill them all ride. The lightning is really kind of where they started to, to truly find their more defined sound. And then master of puppets is just, it's a masterpiece. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to deny that. Um, I I agree and disagree with this this little list that they have here with these three albums. Um, I may I may hint hint talk about it a little bit more later, but you know, oh, don't tell me you're gonna go with load, reload, and and uh, what's what's same anger. anger. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> um, kill them all. The thing about Kill 'em All is that they didn't have the control that they desired. They Lars Ulrich and James, for the most part, have been in control of their, for lack of a better term, of their existence as Metallica since the beginning. And it's always been, you know, this is what we want. Don't mess with it. And it's it's hard to 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 break that barrier with them and they just were not given that control on kill them all. And even though they had been playing these songs forever, sound wise, they didn't get exactly what they wanted, but Hey, I'm not going to complain. I think the album sounds pretty good, especially for a really, really low budget, uh, debut album. I mean, it's the best sounding of the four of the big four, uh, albums that to come out the debut yeah in my in my opinion you know so yeah the debut albums and so I, I'm I'll leave it at that ride the lightning and master puppets they they found their groove they found their formula and they can they actually you know even after Cliff um, was killed and, and they had to replace him with with Jason they kept the formula with injustice for all um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But the Ride of Lightning, Master Puppets, you know, immediately Ride of Lightning produced by Metallica, assisted by, you know, it was uh, engineered and assisted, you know, assisted production by by Fleming Rasmussen and Mark Whitaker, uh, who wrote a book about Metallica and was was like one of their friends, was also also helped them out. Master of Puppets, Metallica and Fleming Rasmussen produced it. You could see that they they were they just found their groove and they were going to they were going to stick with it at, at at least at least in those those two albums 
you know, not much else to say. I mean, they're my favorite band for a reason. And these three albums have a lot to do with that. So, <laughs> um, I, I, I agree and disagree to some, to some point with this part of the list. That's fair enough. All right. So that means I get to introduce Iron Maiden. Number three, Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind, Power Slave from Iron Maiden, all produced by Martin Birch. So that tells you something right there. Um, this was a, a, I mean, for for what it is in, in Iron Maiden's history, this was a historic run by Iron Maiden. You know, 1982, 1983, 1984, three albums, three years, boom, boom, boom. I mean, in reality, it was five albums in five years. But these three just, just were absolutely phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Especially Number of the Beast. You know, so... I uh, you could easily add, in my opinion, four albums to this list. You know, you could go Iron Maiden, Killers, Number of the Beast. You could go Killers, Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind, etc. Even all the way up to Seventh Son of the Seventh Son. I think, to me, those first was it seven albums, they're just timeless. They're amazing. I know some people don't like the the sound on Somewhere in Time and Seventh Son. Um, I completely disagree. I think everything up to no praying, up to no prayer for the dying, is pretty much perfect in my opinion. Like I I love those albums. So there's that's a time period that you know from the beginning with Paul Diano to the Bruce run from you know eighty two to eighty eight. Everything they put out, I can listen to all those albums from beginning beginning to end and not skip a track. Um, you know, once you get into No Prayer for the Dying, I think that's that's where they started to kind of lose some steam. Obviously, you know, it wasn't long before Bruce would leave the the band. So if you're going strictly with that that first run, yeah, Number of the Beast has to be included in it. Peace of Mind, freaking great album. Power Slave, I, to me, I like Power Slave more than Peace of Mind. That's again, it's it's up to you to decide as a listener, but it's it's like neck and neck on those albums. So, um, yeah, I just I I'm gonna say yes on this this list because it's hard for me to like I could pick any of them and I'd be happy. <laughs> if 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 this list was like back to back albums mm-hmm. instead of three a three album run. Um, that's why the, the list shrinks dramatically. There are so many, after looking at my wall of CDs, there are so many back-to-back album runs from bands that are amazing. You mean like just two albums? Yeah, just two albums. Oh, yeah, yeah. That so could you, be a whole nother episode. Right. And that there's just way too many of them. But the, when you get to the third album, to, to, to get to that third album, it it the 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 list drops dramatically and and I was looking at some, you know, trying to come up with my big four, and I'm like, okay, so this band's got these two really good albums, and that third one, eh, a little clunker there. Or you like know, the third one's it's... not great, and then the fourth one is, and you're like, ah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, why why is that thing in the middle there? You know, you screwed everything up. So, but Iron Maiden, you know, they just progressed each one, you know, Iron Maiden to, to Killers, those two albums from Paul Diano, you know, you could see the progression night and day from one album to the next. Plus you can also see the difference a producer can make for you. Martin Birch produced Killers and, and it was a, a night and day difference in sound 
yep. you know, from from Iron Maiden to Killers. But once they put in Bruce, the songwriting changed completely. And that's why I I, I could never put one, two, and three. I could never put Maiden Killers Beast because of Paul and then going to Bruce. It to me, this list has to at least start Beast Have the Peace of Mind Power Slave. You know, some people might sit there and say, Peace of Mind, Power Slave, and was it uh, Somewhere in Time? But even though you like Somewhere in Time a lot, and and, you, and I like Seventh Son a lot, there, there you can tell there's a, a, a defining line. Once power, the, the whole touring cycle for Power Slave was over and they, re, and they released... Um, Live after death, that was a that was a dividing line in their career, and they they made a lot of changes in their sound for somewhere for yeah somewhere in time, and then they kind of made some adjustments to that sound for Seventh Son, and those two albums to me are are a back to back that's hard to beat. Yeah, no, I, I I get where you're coming from, and uh, and I think so, if realistically, if you're gonna pick three, these are the best three that would be like defining, right. So, I, I I completely agree with this one. You're next. All right. Well, this one was a pleasant surprise for me because I think people are now really starting to appreciate this band, and but it's one I've I've loved pretty much my whole life. And this is Death with Human, Individual Thought Patterns, and Symbolic. And I completely agree with this list of three. Um, you know. As much as I love all their albums, Human is really where they hit their stride. Um, that's where they gained the most media attention that they would ever get. And that was uh, with some MTV coverage. They appeared on Beavis and Butthead. Um, you know, the st- Chuck's strongest writing started with Human. And it was where he kind of shifted away from, like, gore and horror into, um, you know, and he had done that more with the the, the, the previous album, um, but when human hit, it, this is where it, like it really became social topics and things that were would affect you know anyone in their life, and it became more relatable. You know the the growls they were new at the time, and a lot I think a lot of people didn't really get it. But now as as that's been a more popular style of music over these years, people are really starting to appreciate death, which is awesome. Um, you know. These three albums, to me, they are the defining albums of that band. As much as I love Sound of Perseverance, which is their final album, um, it kind of stands on its own because it has different vocal style. Uh, I think that the bass has always been a little bit weaker on that album than any other. Um, Scott Clendenin, you know, good musician, but he just didn't have the, the you know, the the quality like Steve DiGiorgio is just an amazing bassist and you had some amazing drummers you know human is is a little bit different because individual thought patterns and symbolic you had um uh Gene Hoagland on so there was a little bit more continuity there but from human to symbolic all the way through there's a progression and they got better and better with each album and these just this pocket of music is just the best from that band. I I don't have a lot to say because Death is never a band that I that I got into. Although since you and I have have become friends and have done the show, I've listened to a lot more Death in that regards. Um, 
I, I still, for whatever reason, there's something to me, there's a disconnect to me with Chuck's vocals and the music that I don't, I, 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 it's not, to me, in my opinion, it's not as a harmonious of a union as I would like it to, to be. I don't know how how to say it. Like it, it almost seems like it's it's like it's kind of weird. It almost seems like there's this music, and then this guy put his vocals on top of this music, and for some reason they don't. To me, in my opinion, don't sync properly. Hmm. And I don't I don't know. I mean, maybe it did more so in the latter years. In the beginning, to me, it was kind of like, what is this? You know, and and because it's Chuck, yes, Chuck was the one that was able to really get the growl and and all that stuff going in that kind of death metal style of vocals. But I, I feel because of the time, I guess it, it it's really weird. It's because of the time period and the way that they recorded back in the in those days in the late eighties and in in early nineties. They they don't record the same way nowadays so it's a completely different thing and his he's to me if he wasn't the the singer of his own band i don't think he could be a singer of another band you know what i'm saying mm, gotcha i i, well, I, I think don't there's know. certain I mean, musicians that are like that like um i think dave mustaine is maybe a good example of that where <laughs> You know, he, he has a very unique style, but because he's he's such a strong-willed musician, he, he you know, he does what he wants to do. And I, I, don't, I think James is, is kind of the same way where, you know, yeah, he, he could probably fit in somewhere else, but, like, he just, there's something about it, like, he has to be in control of it, too. And, and there's, oh, yeah. there's certain guys that are just like that, like, maybe singer-songwriters, is probably the best way to define it. You know, guys like Bob Dylan, even, you know, outside of the genre we talk about, but like Bob Dylan is not a good singer, but he totally works with what he's doing. And, you know, it's, I think it's those kind of people that they're the primary songwriter, primary lyricist, etc. They're, they're going to be the one that dictates that sound. And, I, I I agree. Like Chuck probably wouldn't have worked well in any other kind of format other than it being his band, and because of that, like it's the same kind of like singer songwriter syndrome where you yeah. can have somebody that's not the best vocalist, and it works because there's passion behind it. There there's emotion that you wouldn't get if you were singing somebody else's lyrics, you know. No, absolutely, and I and I agree with that one hundred percent. You know, he he is death, mm-hmm. and you know you weren't going to change that. Um, but th- th- and I think that's for me what was the what was the reason why I couldn't really adapt because you know I'm I've I've said it a, a hundred times, a thousand times. I'm a hook guy, mm-hmm. and you know, first getting the, the first time I heard death, I was like, there's not a hook. To insight, good riffs, but not a hook in terms of melody in the vocals that I would have I felt at the time 
worked for me. Yeah, and that's now, that's something that affects different people differently. Because I, you know, for the longest time, I didn't realize that people listened to music in a different way than I did. There are people that don't even really hear the music and they just hear the lyrics. And that to mm -hmm. me blows my mind. Like how, how do you not hear the music? But that's, that's <laughs> something that there are some people that that's just the way they are. They hear the, the lyrics and the music itself doesn't matter as much to, as long as it has a beat behind it. I'm like that, how? <laughs> No, exactly. You're right. I mean, everyone listens to music differently. Like for the longest time, my wife didn't understand what a baseline was. Mm. Right. And I pointed it out to her and then she, she was able to realize that is a distinctly, a distinctly separate, not track. She didn't notice the track itself, but she could, she could then understand why that song sounded the way it did. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, she's like, I don't know what the baseline is. I said, all right, listen to this, you know, and I would, I would, you know, hum it, you know, however you want to go about showing someone that. And once she heard me do that, then she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she goes, so that's the whole, that's the baseline. I went, yeah. I said, listen to this, you know, then, you know, it was, I, it mostly came from Rage Against the Machine. I go, listen to his baseline and you can hear Tom Morello kind of scratching in the background or, or making a certain noise. And that, since they were so distinctly uh, separate, it was able to, she was able to understand it a little bit more. So then there's other times where she can catch a rhythm in the background. And then she, she goes, oh, okay, I, I, I hear it in this song. I hear it in that song. You know, so that, that that was pretty cool. You know, and and people hear things differently. You know, again, you know, not to to beat a dead horse in this particular case, death was different for me, mm -hmm. and um, I I've begun to appreciate it more because of you and because of the fact that I've been able to expand my horizons in terms of melodic death metal and stuff like that. Um, you know, I still think. It's to me, he's still hard to understand in many cases, or hard to to to, to listen to. But other stuff is better for me, so it's just weird. But I don't take anything away from him. amazing guitar player. I mean, his his guitar work is you know bar none. And I mean, realistically, even he drifted away from wanting to do the vocals. That's why he formed Control Denied, and unfortunately, you know, he passed away. Uh, not long after that, and never got to release his second album. So, um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate, you know. But at least we have that again, that time capsule of a band where, you know, we have these albums that we can go back and listen to, much like we talked about with Pantera. Absolutely, and same thing with Motorhead now too. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, so that. Say what? And half of Slipknot. Yeah, some of the guys in Slipknot too. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, that brings us to number one, and I can understand why um, Revolver put this as the number one because this is the number the the band that basically started it all for everybody that we just talked about. We're talking about Black Sabbath, and we're we're talking about Black Sabbath, Paranoid, and Master Reality. Those their first three records, and if you notice something on this list, um. You got one, two, uh, three, four bands on this list out of the ten. You're talking about the first three albums out of the gate, and so, and 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 then, 
yeah, and everybody else is really more. And I, I, I don't know if did I include Pantera in this one. Let's see, one, two. No, I did not include Pantera. But Pantera should I should include them five. Say it's five. Half yeah. half the list is their half first the three albums. I mean, Pantera that's debatable, right? Because right, exactly. They have their first three albums or or four albums were under the radar and nobody heard them. And then <laughs> they weren't signed to anybody. I mean, Sepultura is kind of the same way. The first two albums, um, they like a couple of them weren't even released in the U.S. Right. So um, beneath the remains. You're talking about schizophrenia. Uh, beneath the remains was was a roadrunner release. So it was it was, it was the a first major... one, but that was their third right. album. So right. So there, kind of there the was same schizophrenia, thing. and what was the other one? Um, it was all morbid visions. Yeah. So yeah, and those that morbid visions and and schizophrenia were both released in Brazil only at first, and then they later on got a distribution deal. But yeah, Beneath the Remains was the first one on Roadrunner. Yeah, you could include them in the same kind of thing as Pantera, really. Yeah, you could. Even Motorhead. I mean, Motorhead, that wasn't their, their first album, but their first two albums were kind of um, different members. It was like Overkill, I think, was the first one that had the, the classic lineup, right? Because they had... I believe so. Because the first album had different members... And then on parole is like demos. Well, actually, no. It had they had um, on the first Motorhead album. It was the original lineup: Filthy Animal, Taylor, Fast Eddie, Clark. Uh, but the the songs were recorded way earlier, and they were that's when they went to that shit label that that uh, that screwed them over, Chiswick. So it was re-recordings of the first of the yeah. first stuff. Okay, that's right. right. Okay, never mind. Anyway, so, back to Black Sabbath. <laughs> yes, back to Black Sabbath. So number one, Black Sabbath, the first three albums, the band that started it all. Um, absolutely three phenomenal albums in a row. Um, you cannot take anything away from those three albums. I mean, especially with Black Sabbath being the first album to, to have that kind of style, that sound, um, it just kind of threw you for a loop in 1969, you know, 1970. All of a sudden, then they come out with Par- Paranoid, was just such a phenomenal album when it came out. I mean, there was so much momentum behind the band, and it was it was incredible. That I mean, I I, I think if I'm not mistaken, I like like seven of the eight songs that are on there. If if it's that much, because they always have like ten song or, or one song that's attached to another song that's attached to another song. I mean, if you're <laughs> referring to Rat Salad, Rat Salad's an instrumental that leads into. Uh, right. Fairies wear boots. <clears throat> Fairies wear boots. I think I, Paranoid. I think is pretty much a perfect album from beginning to end. Um, the first album, I uh, I adore it. I mean, there, there's not much on there that I don't like, and it depends on the version that you have. Uh, it even gets better when it has a uh, evil woman on it. Um, yeah, I don't under, I don't understand why that just never made it onto the album. Um, but. Master of Reality. That's another one. Uh, Sweet Leaf. After uh, After Forever, Embryo, Children of the Grave is my favorite Black Sabbath album. I mean, not album, mm-hmm. song. Um, Orchid, Into the Void. I mean, that's that's another almost, if not perfect, album. Uh, but I, I mean, I could easily make an, an argument for the next three albums, too. You know, Volume 4, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath is one of my favorite Black Sabbath albums from beginning to end. I think it's pretty much perfect from beginning to end. Sabotage, same way. Um, 
you know, you've got Supernaut, Changes, Tomorrow's Dream, uh, Snowblind. You, then on Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, you got the title track. You've got uh, National Agrobat, Sabracadabra, Spiral Architect. Killing Yourself to Live. Killing Yourself to Live. That's a freaking fantastic song. You got Hole in the Sky on uh, Sabotage. Um, Symptom of the Universe. I love that song. I mean, th- th- those albums, the first six albums are, are nearly perfect from beginning to end. And I, I, I mean, yes, I'm going to say this list is the the. the the definitive one because to me you have to include black sabbath and then then from there you know because that's the first one you have to do the next two and paranoid is has to be on that list as well um but you could easily make it another argument that like volume four of sabbath bloody sabbath and sabotage should be their own list of oh, and you could do your, any combination. You go Paranoid, Master Reality, Volume Four. Yeah. Or Master Reality, Volume Four, Sabbath, Play Sabbath. I mean, it, it's put it put it this way: those those first six albums were just amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, and not many people have a run like that either. No. You know, Led Zeppelin, you know, had had a really killer run. You know, to me, after you know everything was great up to Physical Graffiti. After that, after Physical, those last two albums. You know, it was they were questionable, you know, they, and it, they started doing their little Beatles thing, you know, starting freaking smoking shit and and, and experimenting with all sorts of crap. I mean, but like <laughs> if you think about it, who knows? If we were talking about back to back, like Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. Who knows if they had released another album with Ronnie, they could have had another three album run. Black Sabbath has exactly. had one hell of a history. Oh yeah, for sure. So I, you know, for the most part. I am I I like this list that Revolver came up with. Um, I don't have a lot of disagreements in here, but I have a few. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about this list? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm in the same boat. I d- I don't know Slipknot, so it's hard for me to judge. Like I said, my feelings on Tool. I think those albums are great. I I think there's better metal three album runs, but I'm kind of gonna go over that when we do our big four. Um, and then there's other like alterations you could do to certain lists, like we said with Metallica or Iron Maiden, um, you know, where or even Sepultura, where you could kind of adjust it a different song and or a different album instead. Um, but for the most part, I think they they pretty much nailed it. Okay, I mean, I can I can see that. Well, that brings us to the big four, which is now our take, our big four on. You know, the three album runs, you know, the greatest three album runs in heavy metal history. And I definitely have a, a little bit of a different take. So um, do you want to go first or you want me to go first? I mean, I can start things off. I started off on the main topic. So why okay. not? Um, so my number four is a band we didn't talk about. And I debated heavily one of the 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 ones we did talk about I left off. And it was because it was kind of a toss-up for me uh, as far as, like, the concept of a three-album run working so well. And I kind of wanted to give them a little bit more coverage here. So um, I picked Obscura uh, with Omnivium, Acroasis, and Deluvium. Uh, So if you're not familiar with Obscura, they are a technical death metal band. And one of my favorites, they released a series of four albums 
that were uh, a a quadrilogy, I guess is the best way to put it. They're all related and they all deal with the beginning and the destruction and the rebirth of a universe, which I think is a really cool concept. And so it's not just a concept album. It's a concept quadrilogy. Um, and the only reason I left off uh, the, the, the first of that trilogy, I mean, not trilogy, the first of that quadrilogy um, which was Cosmogenesis. I, the only reason I left that one off was because I felt like each one got better from the beginning and Deluvium. It just, I thought they couldn't get better with Acroasis and then Deluvium hit and it was just heavier and even more like crazy with an album. And I love their newest album. I think it's one of their best, but as far as a three album run like this to me was the defining aspect of this band um then my number three uh we've talked about them before and they're a band that i have kind of fallen out with um but still i go back to these three albums all the time and that's in flames with horacle colony and clayman i think clayman is still one of my top 10 favorite albums of all time um but starting with horacle uh, I think these albums are pretty much perfect from beginning to end. I don't, I don't skip a track. I, I love them. You know, we talked very, very early on, like one of the first five episodes. Uh, I think I, I talked about, we talked about concept albums and I listed Horacle on there, I think, um, because it's not technically a Horacle album. I mean, a Horacle album. It's not technically a concept album. Um, but it does follow a concept all the way through it. So they don't define it as a concept album, but it does it does kind of follow that all the way through. And that's something that they kind of did with Colony and Clayman. Clayman's a bit more introspective, something about the, you know, where you are at that stage in your life when you're defining yourself and who you are. And and these albums were just, they they hit me and impacted me at the right time in my life and I could relate to them and they're always going to have that kind of special place in my heart um my number two is children of bottom with something wild hate breeder and follow the reaper um if you love neoclassical this is this is a really good set of albums um each one develops from the last you can see a clear progression from something wild which came out in 1997 to follow the reaper which i believe was 2001 Uh, so short period of time these are the three defining albums that i think most people would say that children of bottom like this is this is the the time period that they're most associated with. They did produce a lot of albums afterwards and there's some really good stuff, but follow the Reaper to me is one of the best albums of all time. Um, if, if you're a metalhead, I definitely suggest listening to it. If you're not into the growls and that kind of stuff, I totally get it, but at least give it a try. It's, it's a neoclassical masterpiece. And my number one is death with human individual thought patterns and symbolic. We talked about it earlier and I gave you the, the reasons why then, but, uh, again, these are the three albums that truly define this band. Um, if you are struggling again to deal with the, the 
uh, growling and that kind of stuff. At least give a couple tracks like Crystal Mountain. I think you really liked that one. Um, yeah, that's a cool song. Uh, symbolic. This the the track I think is a really cool intro. Um, let's see, off of Human, there's uh, Lack of Comprehension. That's one that I think most people have probably heard if they were listening to, you know, MTV <laughs> when it actually played music. That or I like that one too. Um, and then there's Overactive Imagination on Individual Thought Patterns. Um, trapped in a corner, the philosopher. Those are all songs that that um, are specifically about events in the songwriter's life, and I think they're ones that you can relate to. Um, again, growling. It's obviously something I really enjoy. I picked four bands that that, that do it. Uh, death metal has always been kind of my thing. Uh, melodic death metal specifically, um, but. Uh, Definitely give these a try if you've never heard them, because there's some really amazing musicianship on all these albums. I I agree. I mean, I I like, you know, you you turned me on to In Flames and Children, and you know, even some of the stuff that you were just mentioning about death. I mean, I I, I like uh, like Crystal Mountains, a cool song. I really like that song. Um, but yeah, I mean, I the, the, some of the stuff in In Flames we were talking about their new song, how it sounds a lot like the stuff that's on Clayman. Um, so I was very surprised to hear that. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, so I, so I agree, you know, you got to get used to the vocals and that if you can do that, then you'll, you'll really, really enjoy the music because the music is really outstanding. Okay. Um, my big four heavy metal three album run series, uh, not, uh, as different as yours, because uh, we have zero crossover, um, I figured, <laughs> but but you picked something off of the list that was uh, there on uh, that, that that Revolver put uh, on the list. So, and you pulled it exactly the same way that Revolver had it. I have one on my list is exactly the same way that Revolver had it. But let me go uh, with number four. I'm going to go with Dokken and Tooth and Nail under lock and key and back for the attack. Uh, a little bit different. You know, it's a, it's glam metal, um, but if you if you're listening to metal in the '80s and you and you had any inkling of of, of these LA bands, Dawkins was at the top of their game during this period. Uh, Tooth and Nail had some great songs. They were, you know, the the single uh, "Just Got Lucky," "Into the Fire," uh, "Alone Again." I mean, that album was great, and they just continued the success with "Under Lock and Key" with, you know, songs like "The Hunter." It's not love, and and lightning strikes. And then they 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 had that big song on Freddy on Nightmare on Elm Street with uh, Dream Warriors, and that introed into Back for the Attack. And Back for the Attack to me is Dawkins' best album, but that's my opinion. Um, there was some really good songs on there uh, with you know Mr. Scary, the solo from George Lynch, um, uh, Burning Like a Flame. You know, Dream Warriors, uh, Kiss of Death is an amazing song. Uh, probably Dawkins, you know, heaviest and best song. So that three album group, that, that three album run from them was pretty phenomenal in that regards. Um, number three, uh, Def Leppard with High and Dry, Pyromania, and Hysteria. Now, I, I don't think there's a, there's a 
a, a bigger three album run and a more progressive three album run from from a band in those three. I mean, High and Dry pretty much put Def Leppard on the map with their single uh, "Bringing on the Heartbreak." So people got, kind of got to know them, and then Pyromania just they exploded all over the United States. Mind you, they still were not big in their own UK, but they were huge in in America. You know, I mean, how many songs that Foolin', Rock of Ages, Photograph, Too Late. I mean, that album was amazing. Coming Under Fire, I believe, is on that album. Uh, so it was absolutely phenomenal. And then they they have all sorts of drama in their lives and their careers and you know uh, rick allen loses his arm so they got to now create uh, a drums uh, a way for him to play drums they overcome all this and release hysteria and that just was a monster a monster of an album and and there's there's no denying and you can't take anything away from them they 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 basically pulled the michael jackson with his with with within the heavy metal industry with hysteria that's like the heavy metal version or or glam version of thriller every song in that album was just great so that's my number three number two is the is the is the set that that is the same on uh revolvers list and that's iron maidens number of the beast peace of mind and power slave we already talked about how great of run those three albums were, and basically how great a run from from the point at which they they got signed all the way through Bruce leaving the band in 1992. So, or actually, he left in '93. So it's it's that that was an incredible run, basically a 13 year run uh, that you know they they obviously continue to this day, but those three albums. Beast, Peace of Mind, and Power Slave were just phenomenal three years in a row. Uh, for me, my number one is a slightly different version than what Revolver put down. Metallica, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and, Ju- and Justice for All. Now, I picked that three album run over the Kill em All one because of the formula. They create they created this formula with Ride the Lightning. They kept it with Master of Puppets. And for, for, for what it's worth... Even with the fact that they have a new bass player, Jason, they kept the same formula. You know, it's it's a fast song at the beginning, title track second, really super fast song at the end, instrumental somewhere in you know towards the end of the, of the sec- second side. That formula worked for them, and that formula held up on all three albums. That's why those three albums, to me, are the the is the greatest three album run in heavy metal history. So there's my list. Well, good deal. I mean, I like we said, I I said there was a case for any of those those variations of Metallica for their first five albums. You know, I don't even put the Black album in that only because it's such a distinctly different album. But again, you could sit there and say Master Puppets and Justice for All in the Black album, and and you're talking about three masterpieces in in three three well two different ways because uh, you you could keep master and justice very similar but uh definitely the the black album was it was a different very different direction yeah. altogether but again they're still all good albums that followed each other and i think that's that's technically the criteria but i think we're always going to lean more towards what you know which albums fit together the best right so absolutely 
All right, well, that's our big four greatest three-album run in heavy metal history, and that's our show for tonight. So as always, don't forget to tell your friends about us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget you can interact with us by commenting on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can send us a DM as well. If you listen to us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment, or you can just send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. So remember to tune in to the next episode where we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe, and always turn it up to 11. See ya. See ya.